welcome to the 66th Womanthology Podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton and I'll be your host. Womanthology is a digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. In this episode, marking Black History Month, I'll be speaking with Grace Morinfollow, MBE, Director at Carbonado Consultancy. Grace shares her thoughts about Black History Month and why it's about looking to the future as well as reflecting on the past. She also chats about the work she's been doing to establish her dynamic new boutique business-to-business consulting firm. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of our website. That's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on X, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast. We have Grace Morinfollow and she is the director at Carbonado Consultancy. Grace, welcome to the podcast. This has been a long time coming. We have needed this conversation for a long time on here. How are you today? I'm very well, Fiona, and absolutely honoured to be here. Really excited as well. I've heard so much about women thoughtology, and the idea of being a guest is absolutely super. Well, it's really exciting where things are up to with you at the moment, so we're going to dive into all of that, uh, and we're going to find out all about Grace. We spoke to you before, but for those who missed that, could you give us a bit of an overview of who is Grace, background, what's going on, how we got to where we are now and what's going on now with you? Well, my name is Grace. I was uh, born in the UK. When I was around 12, my parents, my mother in particular, went back to Nigeria. So I had around 10 years in Nigeria, then I came back to the UK. When I was in Nigeria, I actually studied fine art and sculpture. I really want to do art, graphics, marketing, that kind of thing. But when I came back to the UK, I found it difficult a bit to navigate the art world. And I ended up applying for a job in the civil service. And the job I was given, I joined the Crown Prosecution Service over 30 years ago, believe it or not. You must have been very young, Grace, when you joined. I I was. I was 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 an infant, actually, when I joined. (laughs) But what was wonderful the CPS at the time was brand new. They just created it. It was uh, created in 1985 through legislation. But actually, when I joined, it had only been going for a year. And I stayed there ever since. And I love the CPS because of the people. You're dealing with the community. You're dealing with issues that are very, very sensitive and unexpected. Nobody wants to be a victim of crime. And when you are a victim and you're thrown into the criminal justice system, The way you're treated has a huge impact, whether you're a victim or a defendant. And I really enjoyed, that was the thing that kept me there. It's almost like a vocation, like you're a nun. You take great responsibility for the people you come across. And I stayed there for over 30 years. I had a very broad range of roles and responsibilities. As my roles changed, initially I was on a team dealing with casework, then I went into project management, then I went into change management. Then I went into business assurance. Then I became a casework inspector for the Her Majesty's Crown Prosecution Inspectorate. And I did all sorts of roles. The CPS is really good. And they give you a lot of training and uh, opportunities to put that training to practice. 
So one of the final roles I had before I left the CPS, I was working in the East Midlands as an inclusion and community engagement manager. And the CPS has always been innovative. It's a very tiny department. And what they were trying to do when they created these roles was they didn't realize at the time they were trying to have much more influence in the community and all of the complications between all of the agencies that, that had responsibility for charging at the time, they realized that they didn't actually engage with the community. Anyway, they could set up these roles, which were innovative. We went into the community, tried to raise understanding about what the CPS does, and also gave the organization feedback about what the community feels about the services that they were receiving, and also suggestions and ideas how to improve it. And I think the CPS is, I think it was the only department that's ever done this. And the result was the department improved its services. It was amazing, really. Simple things, I, I'll just say like the CPS, because it's a legal organization, we have these really long, boring letters that we send out. And this was like 20 years ago. And we asked the community, you know, quite arrogantly, what do you think about our letters? And they told us that their letters don't make any sense. We thought they were joking, but when we actually read the letters, they didn't make sense. They were just a collection of paragraphs that had been stuck together. And because of the feedback we got from the community, we changed the letters, we made them more easy to understand. And that wasn't the only thing we did, but part of that process, we started to develop trust in the community. They trusted us. They believed that when they told us something, we would actually listen. The CPS did other things that we had scrutiny panels where we brought members of the community in to look at what the CPS did and give their feedback. And it was very innovative. And I don't think the CPS really understood what they were doing was public relations and also building social capital. It's always been my passion, meeting people, explaining the system, listening to feedback. And one of the wonderful things I remember doing as well as part of our social capital, trying to let the community understand that we're part of them, we're part of the community. I designed these work experience programs for particularly targeting children from socially disadvantaged backgrounds, trying to raise their awareness what it's like to be a lawyer. And uh, I devised these programs that were a week long. And what I did is I made the students become lawyers. So we treated them as if they were lawyers and they were given work and activities to do as if they were lawyers. And the point of doing that was to show the children that actually the tasks a lawyer has to do are not that difficult. You can do them. The big challenge is passing those exams, getting that degree, that you can do this role, you can do this job. And it was it was wonderful. The impact it had on the children that took part was amazing. And at the time, I didn't even appreciate I, I used to get LinkedIn contacts from people who said they've been on the program and they're now doing law or working law forms. I was shocked. In fact, I had a phone call this morning just from one of the schools I used to work with and they, she was asking me are we what's happening with the work experience pro program and I had to explain to her that I've left the CPS and she was very disappointed she said several of the students who came on the program are doing law now they're at university they're doing law and the reason they were doing law is that they were inspired by me and it's worth mentioning I have to say this some of the kids we got there were children that wanted their ambition for their career was to be a childminder like their mum some of them at the end of the program, I made them see that you don't just have to be a childminder. You can own a franchise of nurseries. 
that's the point of the program is to boost these children's expectations and boost their confidence for them to understand they can do this. You know, there's so much they can do. So that was me. And I did a lot of work in the civil service, cross government civil service as well. I was the chair of the CPS National Black Crown Prosecution Association, which is a staff network. And that was quite pivotal as well, because I, I kind of demonstrated that a staff network isn't a morning shop of staff who feel disgruntled or disadvantaged. But actually, if you work with them in a proactive and a progressive way, they can actually enhance the service that you're providing and improve the organization, and which is what we did. And I also worked as, I, I had a role as, as a cross-government. I was a chair of the Civil Service Race Forum, which is a cross-government network of all of the race networks across the civil service. And for all my efforts, I got an MBE for all the work I did, which I was quite chuffed about, to be honest. I couldn't believe it. Working for the civil service has been a, a vocation. And I'm still passionate about it because that's my passion, people, and the impact we all have on each other without even realising it. We kind of take out the impact we have on each other for granted. You know, we can make someone's day with a smile or destroy a person with a cruel word. And that's the power, I think, of communities and people. Well, I think when you were in that role, every so often there's something, an opportunity comes up. And magic happens, doesn't it? Because I, the way you come across, and I can just imagine you interacting with all the people and the stakeholders, and you've got to be able to say to people, tell it like it is. You can tell me. Whatever the feedback is, you tell me. And I can imagine you being absolutely, well, I know you're amazing at that. So you have recently set up your own business. Tell us a bit about that. This is something that I've been very passionate about for many, many years, particularly when I was working in the CPS. I really saw the benefit that an organization can have if you engage with your community. And generally speaking, the only businesses you see engaging are these big multinational companies that have lots and lots of money and they do all sorts of things everybody stands back in awe of. And I think smaller companies often feel intimidated. They think they don't have the time, they don't have the money to get that advantage as well. I just want to touch on the advantage you have if you engage with your community. I think we've, we've seen it already that when your community sees you as a, as a business that is serving their needs and you engage with them, they begin to value you as a person and, and as a business entity as well. And what happens is you end up with a huge PR machine without you having to pay any money for it. Your clients, your customers, your suppliers, all your stakeholders, if you engage effectively, end up boosting your business. Remember, we've seen some instances where little businesses have been forced to close because of, you know, spiraling costs and things like that. And the whole community rallies round to keep those businesses open. Or sometimes you've had situations where there's been some bad press, something has gone wrong in a restaurant and a customer has made a big complaint, it's been splashed all across the media. And the other customers pile in and say, no, no, it wasn't like that. Whereas most companies would have to pay millions of pounds to a PR company. But I've actually found that from the CPS, you can develop good relationships. And with the way the world is going now, there's so much dynamic change, particularly in relation to 
sustainability, the planet, the fact that everyone's talking about global warming and global warming is one thing. What about water? There's a big issue about water wastages, pollution. There's so many things going on that actually impact people's day-to-day lives and actually impact business. Sometimes people think those things are far away and they don't, it's not going to impact your little cake manufacturing. But see what happened in Ukraine when there was no flour, when they weren't allowed to export their wheat. That kind of thing has a direct impact on people's businesses. And that's what sustainability is all about. So I wanted to set up a business that focuses on sustainability, helps small businesses ensure that their livelihood is able to continue. And what I use in my business, I use the ESG framework. It's something that all these big multinational corporations use. It's called environmental social governance. It's common sense, really. It's basically a risk assessment framework that helps you focus on risks that are not obvious or evident from your day-to-day operations and you know your financial statements, risks you wouldn't even think about, but actually have the massive impact. And it's not just risk, it's also opportunities. And that's what is so magical about this. I want to help small businesses see the opportunities that thinking outside the box can actually give you. We focus on the social aspect of environmental social governance. The environmental aspect, obviously, is about making sure you're not impacting your environment, waste, global warming. And then there's the social aspect, then there's the governance. The All these aspects interlink because you need good governance to be able to get your head around your business, to understand what you're doing, why you're doing it and tackling issues. But the social aspect is quite interesting because that's about people. In a a nutshell, uh, for businesses, it's taking into consideration not just your shareholders, but your staff, your community, your suppliers, having consideration. If you have very good ESG, you'll be able to tackle those kind of issues well in advance when you see them coming. You'll be able to think about how are you going to placate your suppliers. It won't be dealt with as an afterthought, crisis management, responding to it. So my dream is to be able to provide services to small businesses that don't have the in-house skill to do this type of risk management and opportunity garnishing themselves. And on top of that, how we can design and run work experience programs for them can actually benefit their organizations as well. That comes under corporate social responsibility. Yeah, so it's really exciting. And the organization is part of the B Corp certification process, which is one of the companies that helps measure how effective and impactful companies that implement ESG and corporate social responsibility are. Great. So we have got our new issue, which is around Black History Month in the UK. So I wanted to get your thoughts on Black History Month and what does it mean to you? Because a lot of people that I talk to about it have a lot of different viewpoints about do they like it? Do they not like it? What does it mean to them? What's it all about? So I was really keen to get your take on it. I would like to give context to things. And I think anybody who's ever been bullied at school or bullied at work, you know, it's very difficult and stressful. And if you think bullying and being made fun of because you're not wearing the right shoes or you haven't got the latest trainers is stressful, imagine what stress people are under when you're 
treated in a discriminatory and a nasty way sometimes because of a pigment in your skin or the texture of your, your hair. Tackling racism and discrimination is physically and mentally draining and you get no respite. So for me, Black History Month is just a time to sit back and reflect. And I personally, I use it to, to reflect on how far we've come, what needs to be done next, and also to celebrate the, the courage great courage of people out there in the community who are, who are fighting these battles on all everybody's behalf and one thing about racism that people sometimes don't acknowledge any steps forward for in relation to addressing racism tackles all the isms at the same time so i see the interconnection between everything so i love uh, black history month it's just an opportunity for us to focus for one month just to focus and think about the way we treat each other how we can do things differently, and also giving people acknowledgement for their efforts. I think when you experience the trauma of racism, sometimes one of the, I won't say the easiest, one of the ways of dealing with it is not dressing it. So some people think if you don't talk about it and try and just get on with things, you, you have a better chance of surviving your experience. And I know some people think that, oh, what's the point of celebrating having a whole month when what we experience is 24-7, 365 days of the year? But I always think that whatever doesn't get commemorated doesn't get celebrated or focused on. And even though you have the opportunity to focus on things every day of the year or, or other times in the year, which we, which we do, I just think Black History Month gives you the opportunity to pinpoint a pivotal point to focus in time in an ideal world we wouldn't need it but we're not living in an ideal world and in an ideal world it wouldn't rain if you go for a picnic the sun would shine but we're living in the real world and where some people feel if you don't address it it will go away we all know if not for the sacrifice of people who've tackled racism head on we wouldn't have come this far so i'm of the view that for the benefit of everybody we should address racism head on and tackle it. And part of that tackling it is acknowledging Black History Month and, and celebrating it. And, and the theme for Black History Month in the UK this year is saluting our sisters. What does that mean to you? And why is it so important that we all educate ourselves about these things? The theme this year is amazing because I think throughout history, women's roles are often undermined and underplayed. Across culture, there's a perception that women are there to support and assist, but should never be the focus of anything, really, because we're just there to help the, the main focus. And the fact that this year is about celebrating our sisterhood, celebrating women who, are, like I said before, have been brave and courageous tackling these issues is fantastic. So. For me, it's a wonderful opportunity to celebrate womanhood, femininity in relation to racism and all the efforts that women have had to make to make headway. And I think we're starting from a very low base, actually, because women in the UK, black women in the UK are the lowest paid. And this is across professions. I'm not talking about cleaners getting the low paid, but I'm talking about whether you're a doctor, an engineer, an architect, 
you find that black women are always the lowest paid, even if you're a director. And there's lots of other issues. You name any institutional or process you have to go through, you see that black women are right at the bottom. In the UK, uh, black women's health expectations are very, very low. When it comes to maternity health care, we're four times more likely to die during childbirth. One of the examples of what it's like to be a black female in the UK has been personified by that little gymnast in Ireland. Remember that little black girl who was a gymnast in Ireland? There was a group of them who went for a competition Little children, I think it's probably more than eight or nine or ten. There's like ten of them. They all won. They're all meant to be given medals. And the lady giving the medals gave everybody a medal apart from that black girl. The little girl, she was so excited. She was jumping up and down with her friends, full of excitement for winning. And the only reason it's, it, people were outraged. But when Simone Biles got involved, that's the only point that the Irish Gymnastic Association apologised he said it was an oversight. It was it was racist. And to me, it's an example of what it's like to work in the UK for a lot of black women. You work hard, you expect to be acknowledged, and they just walk around you. They just refuse to acknowledge your contribution at all. And sometimes for some people, that's their experience and it's devastating. And even I can say there's been some times in my career that I've been treated like that. I've not had any acknowledgement. But then at the same time, there's sometimes where I've met wonderful people who've actually seen me for who I am and what I give and what I sacrifice. And that, that's been absolutely astounding to be acknowledged. And it's important to look forward because so much progress has been made despite the situation where we find ourselves, things have been much worse in the past. And progress is slow, but steady. And I think when you look forward, you're also looking for opportunities to increase that momentum as well. But I said before about racism, misogyny, ableism, homophobia, biphobia, all these isms are all interlinked. So I think it's important to take some time to focus on the intersectionality of hostility and discrimination and focus on one particular theme. So I think for Black History Month, it's about reflecting on the past and making sure we don't make the same mistakes that we've done and we focus on what's worked well and how we can enhance things going forward. I mean, there's so many wonderful supporters and allies that have helped drive the momentum forward and to me it's about making sure we maintain that momentum and continue to get that buy-in from them and how will you be marking black history month what will you be doing yes well what's really interesting what we're planning to do i say we the royal we i'm hoping fiona you'll be involved in this we're planning to have a little online event where we're going to be celebrating the contributions of black women you know, like women in general, if you want to go down in history, you have to be disobedient. I, ha I can't think of any good loyal wife or good mother who's ever gone down in history as somebody would like to remember. So we're going to be celebrating all of the disobedient Black women who've taken careers in professions that they shouldn't, where they should have been looking after their kids, like architecture and engineering. We're going to be celebrating them. We're also going to be celebrating our allies that help we're going to be just having a wonderful celebration of womanhood. 
and the resilience that women have. I'll give you the date, a bit nearer the time, but it's going to be an exciting uh, celebration. I hope your listeners would like to join in as well. You heard it here first, folks. So we will add the details to the show notes when the details become available. And the final question is, what's coming up next and what are you looking forward to? Well, what's coming up next for me is getting my clients the solutions they need. And I'm full of enthusiasm for what lies ahead. And in addition to that, also coming up, you are going to be joining one of our events too. Details are coming up very soon on our social media channels. I can't wait. Thank you so much, Fiona. Grace, it's been an absolute pleasure and a delight to be speaking with you today. And thank you so much for your wisdom and for your thoughts and for your enthusiasm. It was an honour for me and a great pleasure. In this section of the show, we hear about the contributors who have shared their stories in our new written issue. The stories include Baroness Lola Young, British politician, member of the House of Lords and a passionate advocate for equality and social justice, shares her reflections on Black History Month and why we shouldn't give up on positive change. Ellie Akibi, Partnerships and Programmes Manager at the Runnymede Trust, the UK's leading independent race equality think tank, explores working to challenge injustice and amplify voices from Black and minoritised backgrounds. She also reminds us of the importance of the narratives of those who are missing from historical stories. Dr Marcia Philbin, Chief Executive of the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Medicine, discusses celebrating hidden histories this Black History Month and how they take us from impossible to impossible. Do check out our website, womanthology.co.uk, to read the full stories. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link for the show on social media and also follow the show. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. Join us for the next podcast episode where we will feature epic women in medicine and health.